Hello, everybody. My name is Christopher Thomas Blake. My name is Ross Frostick. And welcome to The Resties, where the rest of the best discuss the best of the rest. This week, we are talking about Ridiculous Fishing EX, the remake of the 10-year-old mobile game that absolutely devoured my life and did it all over again. I cannot wait to talk about it. We're also going to talk about Remnant 2, which is the sequel to Remnant of the Ashes, and we'll be doing that in the back half. But before we do either of those things, I have to tell you about a movie I watched this week. Oh, boy. So, no, no, no. I I have wanted to watch... It's about a little girl (laughs) who has never seen the light of day, and she's... Very uh-huh. sad about it. Until she meets the sun. Yeah. Um, no, I watched The Last Temptation of Christ. Oh, wow. Well, basically the same thing. <laughs> Which was The Last Temptation of Cinema for me because I grew up in a Catholic household. And, uh, you weren't allowed. You, yeah, well, like the church was like very adamant that you do not see this movie because it is the worst movie that could ever be seen that it would it would burn out your eyes. Yeah, I've not seen it, but my understanding is like Jesus does some stuff in that movie. Yeah, here's what he does, the boring stuff in the Bible. He just does all the boring stuff. Yeah, but doesn't he isn't he like openly dating someone? No, like he's he's just a human. Sexing. He, no, he's like he's like man, you know it would be great being able to like have a wife and a family. And then um, Harvey Keitel shows up, and he's like, "Yeah, that would be pretty cool, right?" He's the and devil. then Jesus is like, "No, Harvey Keitel's Judas." Oh, and but he's just here's the problem. The other problem about this movie: all of the apostles are played by like they look like they just got off the L train, and <laughs> what does uh, that mean? and then and then like everybody else is like actually looks like they're from the Middle East and would belong in an actual period piece. But then, like, Willem Dafoe plays Jesus, and he's like, I'm losing my mind! That's <laughs> terrible, Willem Dafoe. But, no, it, it it is, in Justin's word, books-level boring. It's a really good, well-made movie, but it is, as somebody who grew up, like, really deep into, um, you know, Sunday school, Yeah, imagine like a Marvel movie adaptation of that. (laughs) And that's what you get. Like there's literally a scene in the movie where like Jesus is hanging out at a wedding. Right. Yeah. And they're like just hanging out and it looks like just any dude hanging out. And a guy comes up to me. He's like, Oh Jesus, this sucks. There's only two things of water and and there's no more wine. And, And Jesus goes, Hey, Go look in that. Go look in that jar. <laughs> Tell me there's not more wine. And he's like, "No, Jesus, I just looked in the jar. It's water." And he goes, "No, no, no, no. Go look. Tell me what's in there." And then Willem Dafoe like cheats out and like grins at the camera. And then he goes open. And he's like, "This is water's wine." They're like, "No way." And they, and they keep doing it. And, like every vignette for the first two hours of this movie is like, "Hey, uh, uh." I, you see that guy over there? Oh, yeah. W- what's going on with him? He seems to like be a little confused and not sure where he's going. Yeah, because he's blind. <gasps> but boom! And then Harvey Keitel like, cuts to Harvey Keitel, and he's like, everybody, did you just see that? Jesus cured that blind guy. It is, and like this sounds like I'm like dunking on, like doing a, a, a parody of the dialogue. No, this is like borderline one for one. <laughs> it It rules. And if like, I think the point is, this is probably actually what it felt like to be in like Jesus's crew. 
And the yeah, but the he fact was the is, Danny Zuko of his time. Dude, he was the Fonz. Like he well, was the coolest difference. guy on earth. Yeah. And in it, 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 hey, you know what? It also helps that he's played by Willem Dafoe, who I do think is maybe the coolest guy on earth. Um, Judas yeah, was w- the coolest guy on earth. No, Willem Dafoe, Harvey you... Keitel oh, plays sorry. Judas. Thank you. I'm confusing them. But yeah, it was it was very funny to watch it after all these years. Of being like, you know, especially in, as a child, told this, this is so bad. You really shouldn't watch it. And for it to be like just the most like familiar every day at Sunday school, minus like there's nudity because people were naked back then. Um, so level there's, of filmmaking. There's no like, uh, there's nothing objectionable apart from some nudity. There's, well, there's temptation. But, but Jesus doesn't do anything. He, he, the only thing that he does he bad is get it. mad. That's why it's the last temptation, because he's like, no, I'm not having this anymore. And no, he, no, 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 no. I'm and, all done. And then it, 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 happy ending, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, in a way, like, <laughs> I don't know if you're able. It's, Eventually. It, it's complicated, you know? It's complicated. <laughs> well, lovely. I appreciate you uh, adding some uh, filmic education to the to the mix, but good segue to the game that we're going to be playing, which involves fish. And you know who loved fish? Jesus Christ. Okay, everybody, we're back. And we're going to talk about Ridiculous Fishing EX now. A game that kind of caught me by surprise. I didn't think of this as possible because the original developer of Ridiculous Fishing doesn't exist anymore as a studio. Yeah, um, yeah. There are the original developers. I mean, there were a number of people that worked on it. I know uh, Vlambeer obviously is one of the mo- uh, more known teams that worked on it, and they uh, that duo does not exist. They don't work together anymore. Um, Greg Woolwind, I know, did the art, and Zach Gage did design work on Ridiculous Fishing, and they more or less uh, kind of reunited in a lot of ways with a new team called Co-op spelled K-O-O-P, to essentially remake the game with a whole bunch of new features and aspects. And we should just say for like full transparency up top here, you are close friends with Zach Gage. Yeah, I'm, I'm friends it. with Zach. So, so and, like, and, 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 and I'm like good buddies with JW from Blambeer. Like this is a game that we very rarely have to give this this warning on these shows, but this is a game where you know we know the people who made this game. And, and so. I, I will add this, and I've said this to anyone that I know in game development: I will never ever talk about your shitty game <laughs> if I don't like <laughs> your game. I'm not. Gonna, I mean, whatever. If I'm reviewing it, I'll write a bad review of it. But I will never like talk about your game that's bad that I don't like as a way to promote it because I'm friends with you. Thankfully, these are good. Ga- you know, this is a good game, and I'm happy to talk about it because it rocks. I've talked about Zach's games before, uh, and um, yeah, it's very good. So, so basically, the, the origin story of this game is they make a game called uh, Radical Fishing in 2010, I believe, and that was flash based. I want to say, and it was a flash based game sold to like a gaming, you know, like web hub at the right. time. And I, I dug up there's an old feature on Ridiculous Fishing from Polygon. Um, and Radical Fishing was uh, conceptualized when uh, JW was watching a like TV program about fishermen, about tuna fishermen. And there was slow motion photography of the fish getting like hurled into the air. And he was like, oh, you know what? 
we put that together with some duck hunt, I think we have a game. <laughs> and like as the story goes, he like basically wrote out the entire design of radical fishing in that instance. That's um, hilarious. It is like a like true like epiphany moment. Um, and that was great. That game was really cool. And um, and then it came out to iOS, and there were no problems. <laughs> Twist. Twist. You you actually have written about what happened. Right? Yeah, there like, was there was they ran into a pretty common uh, issue in the games industry, which is essentially cloning. Like someone has a really good idea for a game, and uh, someone essentially beats them to market because you can't copyright gameplay mechanics. And so, like, you'd have a game that was very similar to that where you'd be fishing and shooting fish out of the air. But it was before Ridiculous Fishing actually was able to launch on iOS and kind of, you know, scammed away some money from them, basically. Yeah. Uh, and basically, they rushed to get this to market yeah. uh, effectively. And there was a whole thing about it. They, they did a talk at GDC. I mean, I feel like this moment kind of really got people taking the issue of especially ios cloning seriously yeah just there was a lot of content farms that were making like a ton of shitty clones of good games um and you know it's a shame because obviously the original developers should profit from it at least some way and um but there's also the nature of a it's impossible to copyright gameplay mechanics and b so much of game design is iterative based on like what other people have done previously. So there's a gray area to which when is a game cloned versus, hey, we're just building on this idea to make something very different and cool. Yeah, yeah. So we should talk about what the game is because uh, before we go any further, I guess, there's a lot of like other technical stuff we could get into. But do you want to describe kind of the core loop of the game? Yeah, sure. So the, so Ridiculous Fishing, and this applies to the uh, re-release as well, the remake that just came out, is basically a game in two parts. First part, you are just a fisherman in a boat, and there's like a 2D shot of you as a fisherman, and you can cast your fishing line into the, into a bunch of water right below you, and using your phone's accelerometer, you will basically tilt the fishing line left and right, trying to get the reel, as uh, trying to get the line or the hook, I guess, as low as possible in the water before tapping onto a fish. And once it hooks onto a fish, the reel will start going back up. And while it's going up, the idea is to catch other fish that happen to be swimming left and right as you're sort of pulling the reel up. So it's a game of dodging on the way down and collecting on the way up. Exactly right. And then when the uh, hook actually makes it to the surface, all of the fish that you've collected below will then get thrown into the air and you'll use basically guns to blow the fish up uh, as they're kind of flying through the air. And the idea is to blow them up before they splash down in the water. And every fish that you kill will net you some money. And that money can then be used in a store that will get you more weapons or a longer reel or other aspects that'll basically make you uh, progressively more powerful in the game. Yeah, so like as you get deeper into the game, you'll have the ability to go basically down infinitely. Yeah. Uh, just the longest string i guess imaginable um you will get uh effectively a chainsaw lure that will allow you to cut through fish and then uh a, an amount of gas or fuel to like power that chainsaw and that amount can increase so you can buzz through enemies and that makes it a little bit less stressful as you're zipping down 
Um, there are like shortcuts or I guess earlier start points for certain levels that you can unlock. Um, and there's fashion that you can unlock because you want to be a cool looking fisherman. Too. Yeah, man. You know, Hats and stuff. That. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's basically the, the loop. Um, and I think a lot of the draw is, you know, it's a lot of it is just like a very, it's like a very soothing vibey kind of game. There's like chill music. The art design is like, uh, kind of looks like origami, like the Fisher projected as like very low, po no, low poly origami paper. And it's just like feels good to play. Like it's very satisfying to blow fish out of the air and um, just kind of very relaxing, which is not always the case with iOS games. Yeah, you're right that like origami or paper craft, where when you hit them, they kind of like pop almost like confetti. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it is a dream scenario in terms of mobile controls that actually take advantage of what an iPhone is. Um, the motion controls in this game are so good. They are so good. And, and it really, it's amazing that it works that well because it is all about that precision of moving left to right to dodge. And the idea of that precision of working with motion controls on any device, let alone your phone, uh, it, it seems like a recipe for disaster. But it's amazing how, like, I feel like I can really thread the needle um, while, you know, sinking deeper and deeper into the ocean. Yeah. And kind of how much it feels... It, it, let me be clear. It does not feel like literally fishing <laughs> at all. But there's something about that way of holding the controller and then rocking it left and right that feels reminiscent of holding a fishing pole. Yeah. Um, it's Yeah, it just feels right. And then the, I, the shooting mechanic just being tapping uh, critters feels like popping bubble wrap. Oh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, 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 sensory-wise, it is really making the most of of its of the the phone. I think that there was was there a PC version of it at any point? I don't think so. Other than the Flash game, yeah. Um, but but uh, we we should mention sort of what has changed in this sure. new release because it's a it's quite robust. I was actually surprised at how much changed. So the original game was fully two D. So all the art was just two D. The fish were two D uh, sprites, effectively. Um, this installment, everything is in 3D, but it still maintains that kind of paper craft aesthetic. So at a glance, you might think it's 2D, but actually all of the fish are a very flat kind of low poly 3D. When they, you can see it when they like spin around or when they're flying through the air, you can actually see that they have depth. And uh, so it kind of gives it a slightly more modern look to it without totally um, disregarding the original look of the game. I think it works great. I think it's it's a big improvement, quite honestly. Yeah. Did, what did you think of the actual kind of mechanic changes? I mean, mechanically... It's I'm, mostly the same. Yeah, it's, but it's I didn't notice additions. a lot of changes. The, the one thing I think that jumped out at me was the haptics. So the, the game has a lot of vibration in it. Mm -hmm. um, basically, everything you do, whether it's like catching fish on the way back up, or obviously shooting fish out of the air, you'll get like the the haptics of like the tap, you know, on the on the iPhone. And done poorly, that can feel like really bad and annoying. Mm. But I think this game does it incredibly well to the point of giving you this really this sense of like tactile, like you can really 
feel the actions of the game. Uh, I was talking to Zach a little bit about this, and and the term is juice, by the way. I think it used to be like game feel, but juice is like the the extra stuff that gets added to the game to make the game feel better that isn't necessarily like raw gameplay. It's like there's another aspect that would count as juice. When you go lower than you've ever gone in a certain map. So let's say you've only gone 250 meters in a certain uh, area and you go past that, there's a line that shows you, hey, you've never been this deep before. And as you're going through the line, traditionally you might just like pass the line. Oh, great, I beat my record. Here, you'll like kind of burst through the line, like the line will stretch around your hook and then burst open, kind of giving you this new sense of satisfaction and enjoyment. And it's shit like that that is just like fully packed through this game that makes it like, I don't know, very satisfying to play, very uh, rewarding in ways that aren't just as simple as, hey, I got a new gun. Yeah, and there are little surprises like that throughout. There's narrative versions of that too, like a little TikTok, fake TikTok app. Yeah. Um, where you're going to see the stories of other fishers or fisher people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, there are little stories for each of the fish that you collect in the fishopedia that they have, um, including last night I discovered uh, a nod to a game from co-op uh, that I actually – I'm embarrassed to say I'd not heard of before and it looked really neat. And I was glad that I had been uh, advertised or marketed or, or Easter egged into finding a new game that actually looks really fun. Yeah, I found a, a fish from Minute, which is one of JW's oh, cool. games, which is awesome. Like there, there's all sorts of little nods like that. I know you – um, have gone pretty deep into the new game plus, which is a new yes. feature. This wasn't in the original. Yeah, there are two new modes, and I feel like I went pretty deep in one, and you went into the other. Yeah, I don't think either of these are spoilers for anybody. There's, there's nothing it, about them. Honestly, I, I think it, it kind of would encourage me to play more. Like maybe you feel like, oh, it's only going to be three hours, and I want to savor it. But there's actually a lot more to this game. Yes. Yeah. 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 So for new game plus, it, it, it is the game all over again. Like I and I when it started and I realized that you um, are going to play the game, you you have the option to initiate new game plus, I should say first. You yeah. can keep playing with the old thing and max it out or you have the option to uh, do a little cute story beat I won't spoil and initiate new game plus. And I, I was immediately like, I can't. I love this game, but wow, does it devour my time. And then sure enough, like an hour later, I was playing it again. Um, and I would say that where the first playthrough is about kind of just completing the cycle of buying all the gear and reaching the bottom of the ocean of a certain area and if, I guess completing the story. New Game Plus so far feels much more about filling out the Fishopedia. Yeah. Um, and there are tons of like rare and variant fish. And I would say it feels like every other time or so I'm catching something new in New Game Plus. And from what I understand, it seems like the there are multiple uh, New Game Pluses. So each time you beat it, you increase the odds of you catching certain rare fish. Yes. Um, so the more New Game Pluses that you trigger, New Game Plus 2 or 3 or 4, the higher your odds of like catching things. And I imagine there are some things that you probably would only see if you made it to, you know, 4 or 5 or whatever. Um, it is... 
I I feel very good with how much I played. I, I've almost finished the first New Game Plus. I don't know if I will. I, I probably will. Um, but I'm curious about the mode that you've been doing because I did not even notice it. Um, and it's, it looks awesome. I opened it right before we started recording, and it looks sick, and I, I'm very energized to play that. Yeah, it's called Pro Fishing Tour, and... This is probably the most dramatic departure of any mode within the game that I've seen. Um, It is effectively ridiculous fishing, but a competitive version of that where there are seasons and you basically have to min-max your uh, performance on every day of the season to try to get the most points, as it were, within the season. Then there's rankings and stuff online. If that makes sense, um, the the biggest changes just off the top of my head are there's ammo now. So your gun that you fire in the normal game has infinite ammo and you're basically just tapping and, and the only time you ever lose fish would be if you run out of, uh, if you let them kind of fall back into the ocean. But in Pro Fishing Tour, there's actually ammo, so you kind of have to be smart and selective about when you are firing stuff off and where. You can spend money to upgrade a weapon to increase its clip size, for example, but then that money is not being spent elsewhere, and the amount of money you get is kind of limited because while you can do as many runs as you want every day during the season, whenever you catch a fish, that fish is then replaced by garbage on every future run. So if you did like five runs and you caught a bunch of fish, chances are almost all the fish that you're going to see on your way down, it's actually going to be garbage that's worth nothing. So there's this like whole mechanic where you're trying to, again, get the most out of your performance in a given day um, to kind of slowly but surely build up your arsenal throughout the season to the point where you can score insane numbers on the last day of the season using all this gear you've collected. There's also like mini challenges like, oh, you have to find this specific fish type or you have to shoot this specific fish type using this automatic weapon. And if you focus on those challenges, you'll get more money and then again, have more of a shot in this leaderboard. There there are also like effects. So there are climate effects. I'm just looking at like what is today, right? Yeah. And today is opposite day. So the the fish swim backwards today. Uh, and there's chainsaw up, which is using the chainsaw moves you back up while while on the way down. Um, so I guess you have to like go down and then kind of chainsaw up into enemies. Yeah. And then the, there are fish effects like magnet. So when certain fish are caught, they magnify they magnetize nearby fish and attach them to the hook. And uh, there's like an auto gun bonus. Uh, so like that means like that fish is worth more money if you're using an auto gun. Yeah, so there's all sorts of modifiers for how you're playing on a given day, and that pretty dramatically changes how things play out. Um, It's wild. I think that the normal game is probably more my speed because I found myself getting a little bit anxious based on my performance. It's also, uh, if you're you're just listening to this, maybe it's going to be like late July. The seasons start kind of, Uh, the first week of every month. So if you're coming at the season late, you're going to be at a massive disadvantage for all the people that have been playing and already built up an arsenal over the season. So you are kind of encouraged to start at the beginning of a season, but 
it's worth checking it out just to like see how the system works so that if you are interested in like competitive ridiculous fishing you can then start on the very first day of the season and, and uh have a jump on it it's wild that it's in there because it really is like a total change in the like flow of the game and even though the core mechanics are still the same like it makes you think about the game in a completely different way and i'll be really interested to see how much it kind of latches on to people because it definitely seems like a oh wow this is a competitive version of this normally chill vibey hangout game yeah that sounds awesome i i'm definitely gonna dive into it uh, yeah this week and kind of report back um cool i mean it's a great game. If you have Apple Arcade, I strongly recommend you check it out. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious if this is going to be limited to Apple Arcade or yeah. if like in a few months we'll see it show up on Android or things like that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I, at the very least, I don't think it'll be a few months because based on what I've seen with Apple Arcade exclusives, they tend to be pretty long, at least a year. Yeah. Um, but I again, I have no visibility into like how long that relationship is. But yeah, it is, yeah. honestly, like, I have not been this engaged with an iOS game in quite some time, and so it's nice to uh, have something in my phone. Yeah, I'm just happy to have, like, a re like a real remake in Apple Arcade. I feel like uh, we've seen a few of these Apple Arcade editions that are just the same version of the 4Pay game, but now free and part of Apple Arcade. Yeah. Um, which is like fine. That that's great too. Um, but especially for these older games, uh, I, I'm very happy to see something like this. Now they need to bring back Ellis. Do you remember Ellis? Think of like Drop Seven. I so remember Drop Seven. Games. I don't know what Ellis. Ellis Ellis was the game where it was circles and you could touch the circle. you had to like hold down circles with your fingers. Do you Oh, I, I that wish does actually no. I remember it now. Yeah, that's ringing a lot of bells. Yeah, it was so cool, and uh, and then lost time because that's how iOS games tragically work. Yeah, it's very sad, uh, especially in iOS. I think it's more a consequence of iOS than it is like Steam, for example, where I think games stick around for way longer. But I there was a big culling that happened. I think when iOS games went thirty two bit or sixty four bit, yeah. whatever that jump was where a lot of games just didn't get updated and then just disappeared. And um, that's really sad because there were a lot of dope iOS games that I'd love to see come back. I just sent you a link uh, on Ellis, and this is very sad in that it, it got updated. The news story is Ellis gets updated in 2014 because it was released in 2009. Oh, my God. So, like, the update was almost 10 years ago. Uh yeah. Man. Wow. What a bummer. Um, what a cool game. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, how about we take a quick break and then we can come back and talk about Remnant? Let's do it. Cool. Okay, everybody. We are back and we are talking about Remnant 2, the sequel to Remnant of the Ashes. Remnant I, from the Ashes? Remnant from the Ashes. Thank you. I think best known as, quote, Dark Souls with Guns. Yes. Uh, which I don't think is quite right, um, but uh, sure, it's it's as good of a place to start as any. I don't think we talked about the original Remnant that much. I feel like it might have, Griffin might have mentioned it in passing. It seems like very much a Griffin game. Yes, it feels like a game that also really grew in estimation with fans over the years. Yeah. Um, 
Remnant 2 is really interesting. And I do not think either of us really loved this game. Um, but I think it's worth talking about because it it's a real Eye of the Beholder game. Yeah. And that's something that we've been kind of like chatting about um, before recording. And I don't know. Do you want do you want to kind of talk through our experience? Sure. So so Remnant 2, like the first game, uh, you know, Dark Souls with guns, which I actually think is close enough insofar as, you know, there's checkpoints and you've got a stamina meter and you can roll out of the way of attacks and you have guns. And, you know, that's pretty close to Dark Souls. Um, the game itself is a third person action game. It kind of feels like Gears of War a little bit. But it's also got like the loot hooks of a game like Destiny or Borderlands where you're, you know, shoot guys and guns pop out of them and maybe the gun has more damage or fires better or whatever it is. Um, it, my first experience, this was my first experience. I didn't play the original game. So my first experience was playing the sequel. And my immediate thought was it feels actually great. Like I, the gunplay of this game feels better than almost every most it feels better than most third person action games i would say yeah uh, it's very hard to make a gun feel good in a game uh studios have spent millions and millions and millions of dollars trying to pull that off and remnant does that uh quite well it feels great to like fire the guns in this game and to kill like weird post-apocalyptic monsters and creepy angels and all sorts of other weird stuff that's in this game um Neither Plant or I were able to get far enough to explore what I think is like the biggest draw of this game as well as the original game, which is like basically the build crafting uh, aspects of this where you're unlocking skills and, and kind of crafting kind of a handmade character using the loot you find as well as the talents you unlock. And... I hear that stuff is very good. And for people that like love Destiny or love Diablo and stuff like that, I think the general estimation is like all the all of those hooks are very well integrated. But because neither Plant or I were able to experience a lot of that stuff, for a reason we'll get to in a second, um, it kind of just left us with a third-person action game, which in my estimation was fine. It felt good. But the things you were doing and the environments you were visiting were like very simple and there are uh, things we've been doing for the past fifteen to twenty years in third. Yeah, I mean, I, it felt honestly like like a three sixty era third person action game, like a one of the earlier Gears games. Like a lot of the environments were like very simple and cookie cutter, which actually makes sense because. The environments are actually built using an algorithmic tool to randomly generate a campaign for you. So people, when you're playing through the campaign, if Plant is playing through campaign and I'm playing through campaign separately, we will see different missions and different maps in different kind of combinations um, to play through the story, which is shocking. Like neither of us actually knew that that was the case when we started playing. And then I, I joined Plant's game and I was like, oh, you've been to the place with the angels and it's like a holy church thing. And he was like, no, I've seen like robots. And I was like, robots? So I joined his game and it was like a completely different environment that he went to first, which I thought was really interesting. But the kind of unifying characteristic of both environments was it's a lot of hallways and a lot of corridors. <laughs> Shooting things that fly and or walk. Yeah. 
And, uh, and I like the interaction being shooting things, whatever, that's most yeah. games. But the environments themselves being very simple, which I think they have to be because of the algorithmic nature of how they're built, lends it to like a very like unthrilling series yeah. of environments that you're going through. So to, for our first experience, there's a large tutorial area that is the same. Yeah. From what I can understand Correct. every time. And yeah. and that's like the the usual, like, here's how to shoot. Here's where the story left off, which if you have not played the previous games or watched the YouTube explainer is going to be meaningless to you. Yeah. Uh, it is not. The world is in a bad way. There's crystals. There's monsters. There's multiverses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you like touch a giant red rock or jewel or whatever, and you get zapped into wherever the game wants to start you off. Um, and up until that point, I was like, fine. You know, again, like very much neutral 360 era, um, style third person shooter with just really great shooting. Yeah. Um, really great feedback. Uh, and then, uh, came the headache, which was uh, fresh and I starting in a giant desert wasteland, uh, with just a variety of similar looking places for us to go. Us finding a place in the wasteland to like dig into effectively going into that cavern um, after shooting like the same three enemies over and over and over again, which again, that's a lot of these games and getting onto a train and then proceeded a train mission that felt like a, a truly like 360 era where you go in one car and you clear out that car of enemies and you move on to the next one and you clear out a little bit more of the same enemies and you go on to the next one over and over and over again. Um, except it's hard. There's instant death or not instant death, but very easily triggered death where I could not figure out why certain things hurt more than others. Um, and just some weird, weird instant deaths which you had fresh that was that it made it made a very simple thing quite terrifying you want to go into that uh you mean just that oh yeah <laughs> yeah there were a number of times where i uh well the first time i accidentally just walked out of the, one of the train doors and fell to my death instantly and you can't get revived if you die from falling damage and i was like okay i guess i won't do it. that was my bad I, I grant that I probably should be more careful around open train doors with a moving train. But then there's a moment where you have to jump from train car to train car. And it's actually an input that you have to make at the right time. And normally I wouldn't get stressed out because it's like, whatever, I've jumped over a million gaps in Mario. But the thought that like, oh, if I die here, Plant has to go it alone. He can't revive me. <clears throat> and... It's going to kind of suck. So, And I wasn't 100% sure what the input was because it was like a running A input. It just was very you, weird. Basically, you walked to the edge, and I think you hit the jump button, but that wasn't far enough, so you just jumped into the pit. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and this, again, this is not going to happen every time. I, I want to be super clear. This is like not like the world's worst game design or anything like that. But it is one of those things when you're playing a game where it already feels very old-fashioned, and then these things start accumulating where it's like, oh, it's unforgiving in this way of like, I can't fall out of the side of a train. Or now it's like unforgiving in just how I navigate the world and it's not clear to me. Those things stop 
feeling. And then again, like I'm not sure why certain things are causing more damage than others. In a game that seems like it's very Dark Soulsy, what I appreciate about Souls games is the rules feel very clear to me. Yeah. Even when I, even when if I am awful at the game, and they feel clear to me from the start. Um, that said, I mentioned the Eye of the Beholder thing because a, a funny thing happened where we. We had a review of the game on Polygon, and the reviewer did not enjoy the game. Um, was new to the series, did not like the story, and and just did not click with it. And then we watched um, IGN's video review, and they gave it like a 9 out of 10. Yeah. They loved this game. They loved it. And what was wild was watching this YouTube video, and it it felt hallucinatory. Not not that this person is wrong, but it reminds me of like how how like any art really that you consume and that you love is such a personal experience because this person very clearly it, it believes everything that they're saying. And these games have massive, massive amounts of fans. Um, but what he was pointing to or what they were pointing to as um, like exciting to me just looked like being in a corridor shooting things. Um, and I think that's like kind of to your point, Fresh, where you were like, you know, we didn't get to that later part of the game where you're collecting all the gear and, and that, you know, it really has its hooks in you. I think that's what happens with like a really great game when it does click with you is it kind of like creates the fantasy and yeah. you are so bought in that something that's like somebody on the outside looking at it. I think about this a lot with like MOBAs, you know, like our League of Legends, something like that, right? I look at it and I see nothing and then people get in a stadium to watch it. Yeah. You know, and and I think like that's kind of what has happened for me here is I I think I trust that like for people who love this game that it actually is good and you should really check out a bunch of reviews if this is something you're curious about. Um but it is it is always jarring when when you just have such a completely different experience than somebody else. And it's cool, but different. Yeah. And and speaking back to Plant and I's experience we super duper tried to finish that. I've played a lot of video games and I really super tried to finish that train sequence. We died probably seven or eight times at that one sequence because even outside of the falling off the train part, it eventually gets to a point where you're just in a very tight train car and boss just jumps down with you and you have no ability. I mean, maybe you do, but I could not figure out a way to dodge around his attacks, nor could I burn his health down fast enough to like make it so I didn't have to dodge. And if you did dodge, you ended up falling out of the train. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. again. Yeah, and, and again, like you you have beat Sekiro. <laughs> uh, not Se- actually not Sekiro, no. but I've beaten all the Souls games and Elden Souls Running and all Yeah, so all it's that. not like I've gotten about halfway on almost all of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like uh, we're we're not incompetent. No, I I don't. I just don't know what the game was trying to encourage us to do. I don't know if I was undergeared. I don't know if it was. Or was this algorithm based? Like, was this just because of how it creates stages? I, I, there, I, I came away from it with a lot of questions. Yeah, and very little energy to like find out the answers at a certain point. Uh, yeah, it, it does sort of beg if this is a game you're interested in, maybe read like a "here's what to do first kind of guide. Because yeah, yeah, we were pretty pretty lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I feel like we don't, especially with this show, bring a lot of games that are like not <laughs> something we're really into. 
But I, I think both of us still wanted to talk about it anyway. One, because it was just such an unusual experience um, with a game like this. And two, uh, again, to have that sort of experience and then see other people like not just liking it, like loving it. I think I think that's just always interesting because we don't get that as often as I would like in the video game space. There's yeah, I, I like that disparity. I, it actually, it's much more interesting to me than, oh yeah, no, everyone fucking loves Tears of the Kingdom. Like, of course they do. It's the best fucking game. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. like, yeah, the dichotomy of like someone approaching something with a completely different perspective and interest levels, that's cool. I like yeah. that variety. Yeah, I would say if, if if you are listening to this and you are a fan of Remnant 1 or 2 and there's something that you really like about the game, definitely, I mean, we have the newsletter now with besties.fan and whether it's like in the comments or even replying to that email, we see those. Share some thoughts because I, I would like to, you know, hear more about what people really like about this game, especially from folks who listen to the show. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's something we could talk about on a later episode. Okay, we are wrapping up. I think it is officially time for honorable mentions. Okay, so I have uh, a very good documentary recommendation for all of us. Um, As some of you might know, Hayao Miyazaki's film, what is it called again? Uh... How do you live? I How believe? do I think? It and is. then it's called uh, "A Boy in the Heron in America." Right. Well, uh, whatever it's going to be called, uh, based on your region, uh, it just released this week in Japan to rave reviews. But unfortunately, if you're in the U.S., you can't watch it yet. It, it's going to be released here. Uh, you can't see a single image from it. Because, yeah, it's pretty impressive because no yeah. trailers were released. They're just assuming, rightly, that people will just rush out to see a new Hayao Miyazaki movie. But if you are interested in him as a person and how he makes his films, there is a documentary on NHK called 10 Years with Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, NHK is the, I think, international arm of Japan's like news outlet. And they have an app that uh, has a bunch of like their productions on it. And for free, you don't need a subscription or anything. You can watch this documentary. You kind of have to dig for it a little bit in the app, but if you search for 10 Years with Hayao Miyazaki, it will show up. It's a four-part documentary. I've only seen the first two parts. I haven't seen three and four, but the first two parts are basically about him making Ponyo and uh, the release of Ponyo. But like that whole process of like how he even starts with the idea how he, um, you know, animates a lot and approves all the animations by hand himself. Um, It's pretty wild. It also kind of goes into his strained relationship with his son, who is also an anime director of some acclaim. And it's very personal and intimate. The only way that he would agree to do it is if it was a single person on the film crew doing both audio and shooting it. So it's really just him and a guy in a room <laughs> following him around. And it's remarkable. And I'd really, really recommend it if you're a fan of his movies, which I certainly am. Yeah, if you're also a fan of people just getting utterly wrecked by their heroes, it's great. Yeah. If you want to watch some people be like, I have something to show you. You've meant so much to me. And uh, him look at it and be like, this is an abomination to the very idea of humanity, <laughs> um, you'll get that. You will get that. Um, what 
what a what a guy. What um, a guy. I'm not saying can, he's the best person. Oh as, no, no, no. I'm 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 not even saying he's a bad person. I don't I don't know him. I'm just saying it, it's he is very confident in his artistic vision. Yes, and um, he is not afraid to talk about art with criticism. Yeah, uh, which I think is like. <laughs> Not as common. <laughs> um, uh, if you are curious about that movie, there is an English translation of How Do You Live that people can read now. It came out, I think, like maybe two years ago or something. Um, and it's, has... Uh, it's a manga or what is it? So there's a manga, but it was a... There's one in Japan that's a manga. That's not translated. Uh, but I believe it's like a novella um, that's like a book book. And it's from, I think, the 20s or the 30s. I think the original version of it. Oh. And, um, yeah, I think Neil Gaiman does the intro Ooh. for it. Um, I also think the book may have been edited following World War II. I don't know. There's like there's a lot of history behind this book. It is, I mean, it was like a very big, important child, like children's book in mm. Japan. Um, so, yeah, it's worth checking out. I would probably grab one sooner than later because it, I am looking on Amazon right now, and uh, it looks like there are not a lot of copies and that the delivery dates are pretty far away. Um, so go for it. Um, yeah, I mean, in my recommendation, uh, I, what, what do I have? I, I, I've been reading a, a lot of, like, games industry books that are coming out these days there's a lot of stuff coming out from mit press right now um and uh did you you play pip and bar's games right no i don't think so do you not you don't remember pip and bar um pippin has done a bunch of games i think we may have even talked about over the years on um on this show um he did games called like what we did um jostle parent um there's like a weird pong variation just a lot of experimental um games that you can play on his website um quite easily he's also uh an academic and a games critic and he wrote a new book that is um coming out i think next month and it's called what games are made of i believe that's the full title um, and yeah, it seems really interesting. I just, the stuff just games got, are made I, the of stuff games the... are made of. Thank you. Yes. I just got a copy. And then the other one that is out, um, is the video game industry does not exist, um, by Brendan Q. Um, and both of them, again, I'm very early in both. Um, but it's cool to like see some names. That I remember from the early days of games blogging. Uh, when both of us were kind of starting in our careers, who are now like really established talents in the games academic space, writing things that I think are like challenging and fascinating. If you are the type of person who likes the real nitty gritty of criticism um, and, you know, the logic behind game design. This, let me be clear, it's from MIT Press. It is academic writing. I think both Pippin and Brendan are way more interesting and engaging than most academic writing but it, that's still the purpose that it serves um but again if, if that's something that you're into if you are thinking about going and studying game design in school or you just like doing it as a hobby i think you should check them out yeah cool i think that's it i think we did it let's talk about what we talked about we talked about ridiculous 
Fishing EX. You can play it right now on Apple Arcade and Remnant 2, which is on Steam and I think consoles? Maybe? No, maybe maybe not. Maybe just... Maybe just... No, it's not, yeah, it's on consoles. You can play it on PlayStation 5 or Xbox Series X or S, and you can definitely play it on Windows. Um, and your recommendation was... 10 the, years with Hayao Miyazaki? I think yeah. that's what it was called. <laughs> yeah. It's on NHK. You could actually watch it online uh, just through a web browser as well. You don't need the app. But uh, yeah, it rules. Super good. Uh, and then mine is uh, the stuff games are made of and the video game industry does not exist. There's there's another Miyazaki documentary, right? What's the other one? Yeah, the Kingdom there's of another Dreams one. And Madness. I've heard it's not necessarily as engaging as this one. Mm-hmm. Not to knock mm-hmm. the documentary that I haven't seen, but it's a little less intimate is what I've heard about the other sure. one. Sure. I mean, that would make sense considering, you know, only one person was allowed in with a camera and sound. Yeah. That's the definition of intimate. Um, cool. Well, I hope everybody checks those things out. And that's it. Do you have any anything else on your end? Just uh, you should sign up for the newsletter. Oh, yeah. You should do that. Go to bestuse.fan. You'll see links to all the things that we discussed and plenty more. And, uh, and every once in a while, we're just throwing some game code on there. We had uh, Shoulders of Giants on there last week for uh, the Rescues newsletter that also dug up the Dave the Diver episode, which we did back in the fall, and now that game is out, and people love it. Um, Ahead of so yeah. the curve. we That's what we are. You know, some might say we are too good at our jobs. Um, until next time, I'm Christopher Thomas Plant. I'm Russ Frustick. And this is The Resties, where the rest of the best discuss the best of the rest. Resties. Resties. I was the one who was late this time. <laughs>